Good morning. I love these two guys. Uh, we have such an honor and privilege just to meet together as leaders. We laugh together, pray together, occasionally cry together. God's really blessed us in this season here at Calvary Church. If you have your Bible, open up to Romans chapter 12 as we continue our series called Live Free. Romans chapter 12, it goes Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, and then you hit the great book of Romans. We approach this book and this chapter of God's Word with seriousness and reverence today, knowing that this is God's holy Word, and it comes from a holy and mighty and powerful God. And so therefore, we come to it with reverence and and sobriety and seriousness. But then we also come to God's Word this morning with expectant joy, knowing that the Holy Spirit uniquely who is inside each of us as believers in Jesus Christ takes the words from this ancient manuscript and applies them to our lives in such a unique way for each of us, in a way that only God can. Do you believe that? Amen. So let's start in Romans chapter 12, beginning all the way down in verse 9. Romans 12, 9. And it says this in the New American Standard Bible version. It says, Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit. Serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope. Persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer. Contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord endures forever. And this text is good. It endures forever as it just focuses it on the truth of what does it look like for Christians in the church to love each other well, to love each other with an authentic love. In fact, that's the question I want us to wrestle with today is what does authentic love look like in the church? I mean, what does it really look like? And when I say the church, let me explain or describe what I'm thinking when I say the church, just so that we're on the same page. I mean, the church certainly includes what we're doing right now. 1045, Sunday morning, elevation service at Calvary Church. That, that is part of the church. But that is not all that the church is. The church isn't limited to simply a building and a gathering on a Sunday morning. The church is your life group. If you're in a life group here at Calvary, that is the church. The church is when you gather with Christian friends for a barbecue or at a park and you talk about things of God, and you're in community. That is the church. The church is when you and a Christian friend go to coffee and talk about how God is working and, and how He's teaching you new things. That is the church. The church is at Mary's Kitchen in Orange every Saturday morning when there's volunteers here from Calvary Church who, who go and serve the homeless. And so the church really, as I'm defining it today, is any gathering of followers of Jesus Christ. 
And so with that as our kind of common language, how do we love authentically in the church? And it's a huge question because I know you and I know me and I know that we've been hurt by the church. At different times in our lives, we've been disappointed by the church. The church, rather than being an authentic, loving place, community, group, friends, one-on-one relationship, has become hurtful. It's become filled with gossip, anger, selfishness, inauthenticity. Each of us, if you've been a Christian for more than a couple days, you've experienced some of this when it when it comes to church. And this is such a crucial question for us then to answer because I believe that the church has hurt the cause of Christ more than we even want to think about. And so it's important that we get the answer to this question right, is what does it look like to authentically love the church? And this passage in Romans talks about that. Look carefully at Romans 9, at 12, 9. It says, let love be without hypocrisy. First thing I want you to get, let love be without hypocrisy. And if you're following in your notes, they came in your bulletin, you can kind of follow our train of thought here. And I want you to get this. Authentic love sees the church as a gym, not a stage. The late theologian John Stott once wrote, the church is not a theater where actors play their roles on a stage. And one of the temptations when gathering with other believers in Jesus Christ is, is to put on a mask, is to pretend that you're something that you're not. And so you put on a smile when you come and gather with other Christians, even if your soul is breaking. Or you outwardly worship God, but inwardly your heart feels cold. Or you encourage and bless someone to their face in public, but then in private you tear them down and you criticize. Paul says here in verse 9, let your love be without hypocrisy. And if you look in, kind of search the Greek of what does this mean, hypocrisy? Well, the original language, it meant fakeness. It meant insincerity. It meant acting. And this is my favorite original meaning. It meant no hidden agenda. It meant you have a hidden agenda. And so when it says, let love be without hypocrisy, it's saying, let love have no hidden agendas. Don't you like that? I was at a grocery store, um, maybe like a couple years ago, standing in line, getting ready to check out my groceries. And this guy in front of me looks behind me and he goes, you look like a very successful person. And I was like, wow, thank you. I never thought about it, but yeah, I guess I will. And, uh, and he goes, yeah, I mean, I can just tell from just the way you carry yourself that, you know, you get things done, you're successful. It's like, okay, yeah, great. And uh, he goes, and I have a multi-level marketing opportunity that I would love to talk to you about right now. <laughs> like, oh, okay, you're selling me something right here. This is why you're saying nice things to me. Have you been there? Maybe not that exact scenario. But, yeah, we've experienced situations where someone has said something that blessed us or encouraged us or was really an act of love, but then you realize later that it was hypocritical and insincere. Church, in our love, we're called not to be hypocritical. 
We're called to see the church and to love the church with no hidden agendas. And again, this idea of it's not a stage, it's a gym. What do I mean by that? Well, when you go to a gym, you go there to get in shape, right? You go there to use the machines, to gain muscle, to lose weight. You go to the gym to exercise with friends who will hold you accountable and will encourage you. You don't go to the gym, change into your gym clothes, and then walk out into the middle of the gym and then just stand there for an hour. And then like just kind of look around and then go back in and change your clothes and then head to work or back home, right? Although this is Orange County, so I imagine in every gym in Orange County there is someone that actually does this, that just kind of walks around the gym not doing anything, right? I'm not looking at anyone in particular, but... uh but the gym is for action. The gym is not a place to be fake. It's, it's to get work done. And I think I, I see the church like this. An authentic church is like a gym. It's a place to grow. It's a place for accountability. It's a place where we can allow our arms to be flabby and experience grace and encouragement. This is the church. The church isn't a stage to act in or act on. It's more like a gym. Will we love authentically in this place? And then verse 9 goes on to say this. It says, Abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. And I want you to understand something. The opposite of love is not always hate. A couple of weeks ago, I got the stomach flu, and I literally slept on our bathroom floor all night. Have you been there where you're just like, oh, I'm just hurting so bad? In the moment of having the flu, I hated the thought of having a plate of nachos. That was not something that I wanted at that point. I hated that idea. And don't you hate that when you're sick and you're trying to watch TV and like every commercial is about like Los Gorditos, Nacho Bell, or Taco Bell type stuff. And you're like, no. But I wanted, I hated that thought of nachos because I love the idea of getting well, of becoming healthy of getting rid of the flu. And so often, it's not the opposite of love to hate. It actually is a loving thing to hate something that could be harmful to us, that could hurt us. It says here, you should hate evil because evil can harm us. Evil hurts us. Well, what is evil? Well, the Bible says that God calls sin evil. Sin is evil. Sin destroys us. Sin hurts us. Therefore, we should hate something because we love to feel well. We should hate something that now hurts us. Not ignore it. Not even call it neutral or even perhaps good. Not say it's someone else's problem. We actively should be engaged in hating sin in our lives But then follow this, also in the lives of those who we do church with. Does that make sense? Because the worst thing we could do, the most unloving thing we could do, is to see sin hanging out in someone's life and be like, well, I don't want to get involved. You know, that's above my job description. I don't want to offend them. And yet we see them getting torn down and destroyed by sin. Authentic love hates sin in ourselves and also in others. And then I love the second part of this. It says, and it clings to what is good. The Greek word there is it's glued to what is good. 
Isn't that a good word picture? You're glued to good things. That's part of living with authentic love. In a gym, not a stage, is you're glued to good. What is good? Well, God is good, right? God's character is good. God's word is good. God's word tells us that to love our neighbor is good. God's word even goes as far, we'll read it next week in Romans 12. God's word tells us that to love our enemies is good. These are things that are good. These are things that we should be attached to, stuck to, glued to, if you will. Hating evil, hating sin, and loving good. And then verse 10 continues. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. You see this as a, a huge thing when it comes to authentic love. That we see the church as a family, not a collection of random strangers. Wow, if you can just get this today, this will transform our church, your life group, your Christian relationships. If you see each other as family, it says here in verse 10, be devoted to one another. This word devoted, again in the original language, it's the idea of philostorgis or storjos. It's a natural affection between a parent and a child. We are to be devoted to one another like a mom is to a daughter, like a dad is to a son. That's how we should live and interact in relationships with other Christians. I love going to weddings and seeing a bride come in the doors or down the aisle and she sees the groom and you see them look at each other. It's such a powerful moment. I also love what happens next when the pastor will ask uh, the dad or the parents who walk down the aisle with the bride. He'll say, who gives this woman to be married to this man? And as you look at the parent's face, you can see the devotion, the connection that they have to their child that they're giving away. Last Saturday, my youngest sister got married, and my dad walked her down the aisle. And my dad's excited about who she's marrying, and yet when he was asked that question, I could just see his lip just shaking. (laughs) As he recalled in his mind his relationship with his daughter. And now that relationship was going to change and be a little bit different. And so as he exchanges her and hands her over to my now brother-in-law, you could see this devotion that he has for his daughter. That's how we're called to be devoted to each other. And then in verse 10, it goes on to say, give or one another in brotherly love. And you've heard this term before. It's the idea of Philadelphia. It's love each other like a brother and sister. I want you, and forgive me later, but turn to the person next to you and say, you are my brother or my sister. Do that right now. That's all. I I wasn't asking you to say anything else. Stop right there. Okay. (laughs) What if we came in with the mindset to look at one another as brothers and sisters? Now, for some of you, erase your concept of a brother and sister. (laughs) Reprogram that in your mind to what a healthy sibling relationship should look like. But we're called to treat each other as brothers and sisters. And what this means, means several things. One, it means we're to protect and watch out for each other. We're to guide 
and encourage each other. We're to do life with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Verse 10 goes on to say, give preference to one another in honor. And it's this idea that like a family would give to an elder, we're called to give preference to one another. In some explanations of this line, it says you should outdo each other at giving preference and honor. It's kind of an amazing thought to think through that. Last month, I was watering our grass outside of my house. Don't judge me. I know it's a drought. Relax, okay? (laughs) And this woman was wheeling her mother in a wheelchair, her elderly mother in a wheelchair. And they were wheeling past my house, and the grandmother or mom raised her hand and waved and smiled, and I did the same. And then they stopped. And the grandmother and mom motioned to her adult daughter, and her adult daughter reached down in the wheelchair, and she whispered to her daughter something. And her daughter kind of gets this embarrassing look on her face, and she looks at me, and she says, my mother would like your roses. And I thought she meant, you know, oh, you know, like a sentiment, like, you know, she likes your roses. She would definitely like them. But instead, what she meant was, she wants your roses. Can you give her the roses? And so as this dawned on me, I was looking at this poor old woman in a wheelchair, just thinking, like, all I want to say is, like, no, get off my lawn. (laughs) But what I need to say as a Christian, she's my elder. I want to give preference and honor to her. And so I said, yes, of course. And so me and the adult daughter, we went and we cut a few roses and and we gave them to her. And then she got in her wheelchair and and they moved on to the next house to do the same thing, I'm sure. (laughs) We're to treat each other like that, like we treat an elder, with preference and honor. Let me just make this super practical. It's probably not the bar that it deserves in this text, but just for our sake. What if this looked like here on a Sunday morning, that when you drove into the parking lot, you said, I'm going to give preference to another. I am not going to, what I normally do, which is I find the best spot closest to where I need to go in a place where my doors will not be dinged, Right? What if it looked like here just on practical Sunday morning, I'm going to park in a place that no one else wants to. I'm going to park so that others that are coming late, that are having a really hard morning, that are new, will have preferential treatment. What would that look like? VBS this last year, I was helping with security, and this is no joke. We had two moms almost get in a fight, picking up their kids after a VBS morning because they both backed up and they got angry at each other because they almost hit each other. They both got out of their cars. They started yelling. It got high, It got like heated. We had to have a security guard come in and like get between these two moms, which they weren't attenders of Calvary. They were visitors. Don't worry about it. No. <laughs> How many times, though, does our mindset go to my rights, what I want, what I need, I got to get there first. What would it look like if we just lived out this verse? I'm going to give honor to others, preferential treatment to others. God could do amazing things through that. And then verse 11 continues. Oh, one other thought on this. This is, got to drive this home to you. Is that as you think of looking at each other as brothers and sisters in Christ, you think of what that looks like. This is what culture says is family, right? Got your two kids. This is your family. 
What if we, as the body of Christ, as Christians, brothers and sisters in Jesus, what if this is what defined family? What if this was modern family, if you (laughs) can take that term? That we saw each other truly as connected together, like a mother does to a child, like siblings do to each other, giving each other preference and honor, protecting, encouraging, guiding one another. This is our call as a church, to treat each other like this. And then it moves on. Verse 11, authentic love sees the church as a way to serve God, not gain people's praise. And Paul is telling the Roman Christians here in verse 11, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, which is the kind of this image of like a bubbling, boiling pot, serving the Lord. Authentic love can only be sustained if there is a motivation larger than simply loving people. And that may sound a little weird when you just first heard that. We, we have to have a motivation larger than just loving people if we're going to sustain authentic love. And here's what I mean. There'll be times when you love people authentically and you'll be hurt. They won't love you authentically back. You'll be disappointed. You'll feel betrayed, rejected. And in those moments, you'll be tempted. If your motivation is simply to receive love back, you'll be tempted to become cynical and to give up. But if your ultimate motivation to love the church well is not to receive love back, but is simply to serve your loving and gracious God. Then, and only then, can your love be sustained. Does that make sense? Not chasing after praise, but simply serving God. And then verse 12 gives you some blessings when that happens. It says, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer. When God is your primary motivation to love others well, you're going to have joy. You're going to be able to persevere and not give up when life gets really hard. I talked to like five or six different people before we started our service here this morning that are in this room, and they said the exact same line. They said, this week has been really hard. And so I know that there's those of us that are hurting right now, but you can persevere even in difficult things when your motivation to love well is not simply be loved back, but your motivation is to love God and serve Him. And then the cool thing is, God's love is faithful. He will fill you. He will sustain you. This is what we're called to do. And then verse 13 goes on to say this, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. And so there's this sense that authentic love also looks like this, is that it's a place to pursue generosity in the church, not selfishness. And when you think of generosity, often what I think of is money, is financially being generous with what we have. And that is definitely an aspect. I think of what even Paul is getting at here in verse 13. But there's more than just financial gifts when it comes to our generosity. It says contributing the needs of the saints. That word contributing means sharing. Are you sharing with the needs that you see of your Christian brothers and sisters? And then verse 13 goes on to say, practice hospitality. That word practice means pursue. So it doesn't mean just be hospitable to people when they come to you, but it means go after people. Pursue people for the purpose of hospitality. 
Now, hospitality in our culture basically means put on a nice dinner event like Martha Stewart, right? But in first century Rome, hospitality was so much more than having nice napkins and dinnerware. Hospitality meant loving the stranger. The Greek term is this gracious term called philon exnia, which is the love of strangers. So our authentic love is seen not only within the church, but also outside the church by how we love strangers well. There's been this amazing ministry that we've just been lucky to get connected to over the last couple of years called Safe Families for Children. And it really is the epitome of biblical hospitality, of loving the stranger. And here's how it works. We find out about a family in the area that is in crisis. I mean, they're, they're really struggling. And there's a family or a couple or an individual from our church who steps in and says, I will take care of your kids until your family can be restored and to come out of crisis. So sometimes that can mean I'm going to watch your kids for two days. Sometimes that can mean up to 40 or 50 we had a couple here in our church, Mark and Bronwyn Booker, who signed up maybe about nine months ago for this and said, you know what, we're just going to make ourselves available. If, if a family comes you know, up and, and mentioned to us, then we'll pray and, and we'll open our doors. They ended up getting three children from Long Beach and they had them for seven weeks to go along with the five kids that live in their home. And so check out just a brief snapshot of biblical hospitality in motion. Watch that. Safe Families for Children is a program that uh, was started over 10 years ago in Chicago um, when a church just saw the need for parents who were struggling, um, that don't have perhaps the support of family and friends or a church, and uh, the kids of those parents were uh, winding up in the foster care system or on the street, and this church said, you know, this is really the work of the church and the people of the church to step in. I had heard about Safe Families for several years, and it was at the um, ministry fair, I think we call it, where after church kind of went around and, and looked at the different ministry areas, and uh, all of us, including all of our kids, just felt drawn to that, and we, we saw an email, once, once you sign up for Safe Families, then you'll get emails, and this one was um, three kids living in parks and uh, laundromats. Then uh, a couple weeks later, it came out again, and, and it, it kind of tugged on our hearts. And it was like, okay, we we just can't let these kids sleep sleep on the streets. Both of us felt like God was saying, yeah, this is this is the one. But within I don't know, a couple days, they they brought the kids over. It was actually we didn't know what to expect uh, when the children arrived at our home. Would they be frightened? Would they be crying? Um, would they be clinging and not want to stay? I was expecting those behaviors, and instead, uh, in walks, uh, you know, six-year-old Tremont and sticks out his hand and says, Hi, I'm Tremont. <laughs> Just adorable as can be. Okay, if kids dropped in on you, you don't have anything for them. They arrived with pretty much everything they had, which was a small backpack for each one of them. Watching our, our five youngest, those three, and then we have two that are in grade school, all swimming in the pool together. These kids uh, never really swam. Um, 
didn't know how to swim, and so our kids were teaching them how to swim, and they were just playing in the, uh, the shallow, and they couldn't get enough of it. Most mornings you'd find uh, four or five of them out on the trampoline, just just jumping and, and being kids. Emma um, said to me after they left, you know, she said, I, I, I taught I taught Tremon to read and to swim. I, they felt like they were brothers and sisters to them. Sign up. It's it's the church being the church. We've allowed the, the government to take over, taking care of orphans, essentially, and that's what we're directed to do. There, there are many other ways to help as well, helping with laundry, helping with a meal. And you can start getting involved and not be a host family, but just help. And, um, you know, people to just say, look, when someone takes in uh, a child or children, uh, we'll be there to, to call in the morning and say, is there anything I can do for you today? It's, it's as simple as that. Isn't that cool? This is Biblical Hospitality, Loving the Stranger. And the neat thing was it wasn't just the Bookers who were involved in this particular story with these three kids. Um, Tim and Jen McAvaney, our Safe Families directors, uh, were instrumental in connecting with the mom, making sure she was comfortable, giving them rides back and forth, organizing meals, babysitting. And then by my estimates, we had over 40 people here at Calvary that either brought the Bookers a meal when they had instantly 10 people in their family to bringing clothes for the kids to wear to school. We had one hairdresser who did Naya, the 10-year-old's hair, with braids, and no one else knew how to do it. And it was like so cool how this, the family of God, brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, stepped in and cared for these three kids and cared for a family. So I don't want to make this a commercial, but I think this is just a great example of, of what we could get involved in. And so I even challenge you, as you leave today, in the lobby, there'll be a safe families table. Just grab a brochure and just pray this week. God, is this something that you may call me to be involved with, whether it's hosting or even just bringing a meal to a, a story that is yet to unfold? Continues on here in the scriptures, verse 14 says, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. This is a theme from Jesus from the Sermon on the Mount in the Gospels when he says the same thing. This is tremendous upside-down kingdom thinking right here, isn't it? To bless those who persecute you. I mean, it's so insane to think how we could actually live this out, yet through the power of the Holy Spirit, we can live upside-down. We can live in a way that's not natural. We can bless those that even consider us their enemies. And then verse 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those that weep. If you're to consider this verse, which one do you think is harder? To rejoice with those who rejoice or to weep with those who weep? Maybe it's obvious to you, but if you think a little farther on it, often it's harder to rejoice with those who rejoice, isn't it? Particularly if they're rejoicing about something that you want or wish that you could have. Those can be difficult times to rejoice with somebody. Maybe you've been a single person and you've watched yet another friend get engaged, and you're at their engagement party, and you're like, yay, yay. <laughs> this is horrible. Or maybe you've been a married couple, and you've watched yet another one of your friends have a baby or get pregnant, and you lawn for that, but 
whatever reason it's not happening. It's hard to rejoice in those moments. Maybe you've seen a friend get a job, a job that you'd really like. Maybe you've seen a friend retire and gone, oh, I wish I had that. You've seen somebody get a car that you wanted or you've seen someone get Laker tickets. You wish you had those. I'm, those, I'm calling them like the Instagram moments of life. You know what I mean? Like those moments that people want to post on Instagram, those are the moments that often we find, if we're really honest with ourselves, are hard to rejoice with people in. And this is where we're called to generosity. This is where we can be generous with our rejoicing, where we can say it's not about my selfish needs. It's about me coming alongside and rejoicing with them, thanking God alongside them because we serve a generous God. That's our call. That's authentic love right there. And then the next line, it says, weep with those who weep. This can be difficult as well. Often we feel like we're not equipped. When you have a friend who has someone die in their family and you're like, I don't know what to say. I don't want to say the wrong thing. And so sometimes we end up doing nothing, you know? But we're called to weep with those who weep. Me and Marie had a death in our family a couple of years ago. And Marie was crying in our uh, room. And at that time, Samuel, our middle son, was two. And he would comfort himself when he was two by getting a blanket. And when he was crying or sad, he would just rub the blanket on his ear like this. And so when he would cry, he'd seem like, and he'd be just rubbing his little blankie on his ear. So he sees Marie in our room crying, grieving. And he walks in with his blankie. And he walks up to Marie. And he puts his blankie to her ear. And he begins just to rub her ear with his blankie. Isn't that cool? A two-year-old ministering right there. Often, it's not that we have to bring all these skills to our grieving with somebody. It's simply bring what we have. Be present with them in their suffering and in their grieving. This is our call. John Stott, another great quote he has is this. Love never stands aloof from people's joys and pains. Love identifies with them, sings with them, and suffers with them. And then you can see here in verse 16 that authentic love is lived out in a generous mindset by living in harmony, unity with other believers, by caring for those that don't have the status report of others, the unimportant, if you will, the overlooked. We're called to look at them as brothers and sisters in Christ and to care for them and then to do all this with humility. It says here in the scripture, do not be wise in your own estimation. We need to walk in humility as we love authentically the church of Jesus Christ. This is our calling as a follower of Jesus. So let me give you a little pop quiz, okay? You ready? Pop quiz. I know college students, you're done with finals, but here we go. Let's measure how we're doing as a church. How are you doing in your authentic love for other people? Don't say this out loud, but just internally think to your head. My love for other Christians is free from hypocrisy. Never, rarely, some of the time, most of the time, always. Where do you stand with that? I love and treat other Christians as brothers and sisters, not strangers. Never, rarely, some of the time, most of the time, always. My motive to love Christians is to serve God, not receive praise from people. Uh... I don't like that question. Move on. Um, I love other Christians generously, not with selfish conditions. 
Never, rarely, sometimes, most of the time, always. Where do you stand? As you self-evaluate the authenticity of your love here this morning, how you doing? You feel a little weak? Do you feel a little inadequate? Here's my prayer. You could easily read this list from Romans and just walk out of here feeling guilty, feeling like I don't measure up, uh, just another weight and burden on my life. My week was hard coming in here, and now it's even harder leaving. So I got this whole list of stuff I got to do. Here's my encouragement to you, is that Jesus is the perfect portrait of authentic love. When we fall short, when we're inadequate, when we hurt other people with our hypocrisy of our love, we have one who has lived this life perfectly, who was without sin. He hated evil and was glued to good. He did so perfectly, righteously. The Bible says, but God demonstrates his authentic love toward us in this, that while we are yet sinners, Christ died for us. That is a life-giving truth right there. And in Philippians 2, you know it well. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. We have one who takes our place when we fail. He died for our shortcomings. He makes us new by forgiving our sins once and for all. He reshapes us, reforms us, remolds us. This is Jesus Christ. And this is the one that as we read Romans 12, we're called to look to for hope, encouragement, and renewal here today. And so this is what I want us to do. In just a moment, we're going to take communion. And this is a perfect time to simply sit before God and say, God, I confess my inadequacy to you. I confess that my love is not always authentic to you. Forgive me. Remake me. Remold me into your image, Lord Jesus. Give me a fresh start today. Communion is about remembering what Jesus has done on the cross, that he died once and for all for you and me. And so I'm going to pray in a moment, and then we're going to invite the host to come forward and distribute communion What I'd love for you to do is just spend some time with the Lord. Talk to Him honestly in prayer. And hold the elements in your hands. Just hold them and reflect on who Jesus is. The perfect, authentic lover of our souls. So let's pray. Father, thank you for giving us this portrait of love as seen in Romans 12. But thank you, God, that as we woefully fall short, your grace is sufficient in our weakness. God, we pray that in this moment, we'd freely confess our feelings to you. God, for some of us, that's going to involve even asking forgiveness for the anger we have towards somebody else who has woefully loved us. So God, I pray that in this moment, you would do a work. You would do a new thing. You prepare our hearts to remember what you've done. In Christ's name, amen.